Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Daphne. And I'm Ilaria. And we are so excited to talk to today's Mom Brain guest. She's a superstar. She has been in more movies than we can count since she started at the age of 11. And you've probably seen her in major blockbuster movies like Star Wars and Thor and V for Vendetta and Black Swan, just to name a few. Did we mention that she's an Oscar winner? Any guesses? Any ideas? Alaria, do you know who we're talking to today? I wonder. I wonder who. (laughs) Wait, let me give you some more clues. Um, She's an actress. She's a Harvard graduate. She's a filmmaker, an author, and a mother to two beautiful children. We are talking to Natalie Portman. And we are going to talk to her about her many accomplishments, but also her new children's book, which is a take on the classic fairy tales, but done in a very different way, a totally, completely different twist. And we're very excited to get into it with her. You know what? You don't want to hear from us anyway. Let's listen to Natalie Portman. There you go. Mumbling. I'm Natalie Portman, and I am here to talk to you about my new book, Natalie Portman's Fables. And I have two kids, nine and three and a half. And most of the time, I am an actress um, when I'm not, you know, living through a pandemic. <laughs> Where can we follow you? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram under my name. So you're in Australia? I am. I am. That sounds like a nice place to uh, be spending this crazy, crazy time. It's very uh, lucky, yeah, to be here working right now. How long are you posted up there for? A few months. Um, oh, okay. My husband is working first and then I'm working after. So um, we were lucky to be able to organize it that way that we can have some some continuity for, for the kids. Totally. Well, also, it's a 20-some-odd-hour flight like to not have to make it back and forth so many times. Your kids are little, I feel, too. Are they, like, four or five? I have a three-and-a-half-year-old and a nine-year-old. So I, I read your book today. Oh, thanks. So talk to me. It's like you mixed a bunch of different stories all together, and then they have mm-hmm. their own twist. Um, talk just a little bit about the about the process and, and what you wanted to convey. It was very, it was very creative. Thank you. Yeah. My, my, the sort of beginning of my thinking about it happened when I had a girl after having a boy. And I don't know if you've had this experience, but we got all of these like feminist baby books as presents. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking like, huh, you know, it's really important for the boys to learn this stuff, not just the girls. Mm -hmm. It's great for the girls to learn it, but we know we're great. Girls know we're great. We don't need, we don't need the books. We need the books for the boys, right? Um, but then I realized that the kind of like normal books that you get for both kids or that you read to both kids, mm-hmm. um, the characters were predominantly male. And so you're reading these classic stories that I want to read my kids, but then, I, you know, all the pigs and the three little pigs are male and the wolf is male. And, you know, and I was like, what does this teach my kids when they're teaching to empathize, when they're learning to like care for someone else's story and care for Mm -hmm. someone else's heart. If all the characters are male for both females and males. And like, Mm -hmm. I think we, we tend to learn getting into, uh, like into a male brain, wanting to know what they 
think and feel and want more than um, female brains. And so I thought, what if you just took the regular stories, but made it look like the world where half the characters are male, half the characters are female. Some are sort of on the, on the spectrum of gender and, um, and just let the stories play out like that and not have any like strong message about that. That's separate from just our general messages of what we want to teach our kids about being good human beings and, and how to, how to be in the world but just populate it in a way that looks like the world. So, um, so yeah, so I just wanted to use the kind of classic stories uh, and then just simply have the animal kingdom reflect the real animal kingdom in terms of gender. I love that. I have four boys and one girl. And so it's interesting. And I had my girl first. And so I was a girl mom. And then all of a sudden I was a boy mom like many times over. And I was like, what am I going to do with all these boys? Um, and I, and what you do, you raise them and you love them. And they're, when they're young, they're so innocent and they haven't, they, they don't know this world, um, that we've just in terms of how, you know, with the me too and how we've all come together and things seem to be going in a, in a direction where we're speaking about things that we never spoke about before. And, um, things are coming to light that, that, uh, people knew were going on, but didn't want to talk about it. Some people had no idea we're going on. I mean, right. You know, it's a very, it's a very, very big topic. And there's something as, as I'm raising my boys and as I'm raising my, my daughter, I start to think, how do you teach them this? And some of it is going to be through very strong conversations. And some of it is going to be exactly what it seems like your, your book is doing, which is let's just show you what is. And it doesn't, it, it, we can plant these seeds in a very natural way from a very young age because for yeah. kids it's just what is their life is what is they don't know this me too thing they don't they right. don't know all this stuff and, that's and going they're on too little for i mean even some of the things about like how how empowered girls are like these amazing women through history like even that feels like i don't want to introduce to my kid like my daughter at a three years old that she's going to have all these obstacles in her life True. either you True. know like for me, I just want to start with like, let's care about girls and boys. Let's feel feelings for people of all genders. Let's care about their stories from the beginning. You know, like that's, that seems like the first building block to me um, and was really disappointing and worrisome when I saw in so many books that they were so male centric and so many kids movies and shows. I mean, Gina Davis has this like amazing um, institution that tracks all of it. And when you see the the number of like male to female speaking roles, even in kids movies, it's like insanely disproportionate. So, um, and I think a lot of it for boys, for teaching boys is just to empathize with girls, to wonder how they feel, to wonder what they're thinking. And that comes from storytelling. Well, I think also as you know, all of us having, I have one boy and three girls, Laurie has one girl and four boys, you have a boy and a girl. Um, you never want to parent one at the expense of the other, right? You're, I mean, obviously different children have different needs, different children have different needs at different times, but it's challenging to be able to find a book that you can read to all of them at once that doesn't feel pejorative or negative towards one versus the other. Yes. And I think that's what's really cool about what your approach to it is it's, it's much more about the lesson of just uh, living life and em embracing the colorfulness of life um, as opposed to 
a really hard hammering on the nose, like a message of empowerment that ultimately is is empowering at the expense of something else, you know? And um, I think that's, I, I also think fables, I don't know if you as a kid grew up reading fables, but I oh, yeah. loved them. I thought they were really, because they were a little bit dark sometimes and like different than the average kid stories. So I'm so curious how you picked the ones you wanted to retell and, and what the response was like from, you know, I don't, what, did you keep it to yourself? Were you kind of talking about it to friends? Like what was that sort of process like? Yeah, I really wanted to do stories with animals because I think in terms of creating empathy for me as a kid, like I always believed that animals had feelings and thoughts and emotions because of the books I read and because mm. of the movies and cartoons I saw. And that was such a big, um, important thing for me. And also I felt like all kids have the same access point, like no matter what your background is, we all have the same ability to imagine that we're like that pig character or that, you know, bunny or whatever, you know, right, like it's, right, a, it's not, right. it's not specific, um, to the way, you know, uh, a human character looks or something where you're like, Oh, I'm the red hair girl or whatever. Um, so, so that's why I wanted to do animal stories. And then the reason I chose these were because they were classics that I wanted to read my kids. And then I didn't feel that they were like okay to read my kids when they were to my kids, when they mm. were all male characters. So I wanted mm. to make kind of gender safe books that like I can keep these classic stories, but that I'm not going to be instilling like only male points of view um, that like, you know, sometimes the wolf is going to be a female. Sometimes the, you know, sometimes the, the tortoise or whatever, but we, we just, I found myself like going to the park and always referring to like, look at the squirrel. Isn't he cute? And I was like, mm. why do I always think every animal is male? <laughs> you know, like I was doing it. Um, and you realize how much you kind of just um, absorb from, from these kinds of stories. We talk a lot of, about what is age appropriate for them. Yes. And there's so much that we're, you know, what you're saying is making me think about things in a completely different way of how maybe it's okay when they're younger not to know why we have to be empowered. You know, we get these yeah. empower books, but like, but why do our, does our three-year-old need to know that we shouldn't be empowered when she can just be like, well, I'm just empowered because I'm empowered because I'm a person. You yeah. know, and I never, that's so interesting that you're saying this. I never really thought about that much. I was much more about the rah, rah. And it's interesting because I start to get, especially over the past year or two, as these tops get co talked about more, like the issue of consent, you know, and, and listening, you know, and I'll take it with my kids when they start to, you know, fight about something and somebody is saying stop and it's, you know, stop, don't spray me with water in the pool or don't pull my hair or something like that. And I really, really, really am trying to drive home this idea of, no, you need to listen. When somebody says no, even if they were having fun right. and playing a second ago, when somebody says no, that's when you drop it immediately. Yes. But it is interesting, this idea of, are we overloading them with things because we're, we're fearful of not preparing them for the future as well? Well, to me, it's so much about having them imagine other people's feelings. Like that's how you get empathy is imagining if I say this thing to you or if I do this thing to you, how are you going to feel? And the first beginning of that is stories because they're imagining 
how the characters in the books feel that you're reading them. They're imagining that, you know, uh, how the hen feels when she does all her work baking the bread and, you know, nobody helps her and mm-hmm. then they want to have, <laughs> you know, a piece of the bread. Um, they're, they're feeling the characters' feelings and what happens when boys and girls are taught to imagine male feelings all the time. And I know, like, I think as a girl, I became like an expert in knowing how boys and men felt. I was like, I know, like, do they think I'm pretty? Do they think I'm cool? Do they think I'm smart? Do they think I'm annoying? Do they think I'm, um, you know, like I was constantly doing that. And I think it's because I had practiced so much wondering about male, like I had practiced so much getting into the male mind through Mm -hmm. the stories and TV and movies I'd seen because it's such predominantly male characters. And men do that too. I think like boys are also trained so they don't have enough practice at thinking, what do girls feel? Does she feel comfortable? Does she feel safe? Does she feel cool with this? You know? And so um, starting the practice in a very early age of imagining everybody's minds in the same in the same proportion um, just gives you a practice that goes into the world and you just care about how other people feel. It's like a building block for empathy that doesn't have any like huge message that they're not right. ready for, right. um, but is literally just like go into the world and care about how someone else feels and how someone is affected by your behavior or your speech or whatever you say or do. Well, it takes more work to do that, right? Like you have to be able to manage your own emotions, your own feelings, your own approach, your own, you know, experience, and then also have the bandwidth and the desire to put yourself out of your body and think about the people on the other side. And I think that that's, yeah, for better or for worse, it's something that I think our culture has always sort of believed girls could do sometimes to their right. detriment, you know, and, Definitely. and, you know, and not really imagine that boys were doing that or should, needed to do the same or could do the same. And Definitely. I think in a funny way, it's damaging for both. Um, and I do, I mean, I think I love, I love that the, we, this approach is so, it's very um, expanding. It's not constricting. It's not trying to like funnel you into one path. It's, it's really saying your experience of life will be so much richer if you have this dynamic and ability to, to see this side and to and to have that em- that empathy that you're talking about, and I think it's hard. I never thought of empathy as something you cu- you could cultivate. I kind of think of it as like this non cognitive skill that you're born with or you're not born with. But I I think you're right. I think you have to see it modeled, and I think it, it, this is such a great. I mean, such, it makes sense given you know your your lifetime in storytelling that you would understand that stories have this capacity to really teach us important life skills like that. I also think it's interesting. I mean, your kids are, you know, little nine, nine and almost four. Yeah. I mean, you've been working since you were so little. I feel like the professional you were, what, you were like, I was 11. Or, 11. 11. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you're, yeah. You're a kid. And I'm so curious. I mean, I, I don't, I wonder how that shaped that experience shaped your confidence that experience shaped your um, willingness to talk about and and be vocal about things you really care about and you're passionate about. And I wonder how you're sharing those life skills and that passion and that ability to speak up for yourself with your kids and, and get behind issues like this that you clearly really care about. Well, it was very, very lucky to start working professionally early. Um, for me, um, it was something that I really wanted to do. Um, my parents were super protective, like 
were always there. by my side. And so I really had an incredible experience where I got to like play and travel and meet interesting people and be exposed to a lot of ideas and cultures that I think I never would have had the opportunity to. But it was definitely um, unusual as a kid. You know, I, I definitely got like bullied at school afterwards for like people were because I went to I went to just, you know, regular schools and um, some of the kids were like when I came back from shooting movies and stuff, they would say I was like stuck up and, you know, give me a hard time. And I mean, that was all really important also for, I think, developing empathy because it takes being hurt pretty badly, I think, to understand, even get an inkling into what anyone else's hurt might be like too. Mm-hmm. And then also I wasn't like, you know, later in high school and stuff, I was never like partying or going out. I was like, working on my (laughs) breaks and, you know, um, going to, to shoot or do a play or something whenever I had time off. So it kind of, I guess, like helped nerdify me. Um, but the storytelling aspect has been really, you know, important for giving like what I do meaning because it's so fun. I love, I love my job, but it really does feel like that's where I can find the the purpose of, of what I do when I, you know, that's, that's when people go into a movie theater and care about another person, cry for their plight or laugh with their joy and feel with another human. It is a practice. And then you go into the world, like us reading a book about someone and then getting connected to their journey and feeling like they're someone we care about. All of that is is storytelling really, really cultivates that. So um, that's been really an incredible um, yeah, piece of, of my work to have the like uh, purpose alongside the just kind of like fun and pure joy of getting to, to create. During the time when most people are working out their kinks and being crazy and, and awkward and dangerous and bad and all the good things, um, <laughs> like you were busy and working and professional and and had other considerations in at play like and then you had kids kind of young did you ever feel like you or ha- did you ever get your like your moment of my childhood <laughs> yes. yeah um yeah in in many ways i definitely feel like delayed with a lot of it like i feel like i'm going to be like the 50 year old rebellion yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's that's what we all have to look forward to i think it's like Gloria Steinem who said like women are the yes. women are the ones who become radical in their in their old age so good yeah it's it's so true um but uh yeah i mean i guess i was i was lucky that there wasn't like social media when i was a teenager and young adult and stuff so that I feel like I did have like enough of the fun without like going off the rails, but you mm. know, that's also not caught on tape. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but, but yeah, it was, it also did keep me relatively like straight, I guess, straightforward with like my, uh, my behavior because you, there was this kind of public aspect to it. I think when kids have some sort of focus, it keeps them on the rails somewhat. Totally. Although, you know what? You still, yeah, you still have time. You have still have time to have your, your wild, <laughs> Thank wild Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> are you guys homeschooling right now? You said your kids are with you in Australia. What are you, what are you guys doing to, to stay on track? Well, uh, 
the the past six months we've been doing you know the homeschool kind of zoom um, zoom school which has been really the teachers have just been incredible and I'm so impressed with how flexible everyone's been and how much work they've done to get there and um, it's just been really extraordinary but it is so much for moms um, in particular I think parents definitely in general but I know moms are taking the brunt of it. I just saw a thing on, on social media actually today about, um, Sarah Sophie Flicker. I don't know if you follow her at all. She's, she's incredible, but she just, um, uh, posted this thing about how 800,000 women have dropped out of the workforce mm -hmm. since the beginning of the pandemic in the United mm -hmm. States, um, compared to like a much, much lower number of, of men. So I think the, the brunt of taking care of kids and trying to work, and try and deal with all the anxiety of what the country is like right now is, is, has just been too much. I mean, not to mention, I know a lot of people taking care of their parents, taking care of having sick loved ones in the family. It's really like an insane time for everybody right now, but um, particularly moms, I think it's, it's a lot. I'm so impressed with both of you having uh, so many kids, like, but it must be nice that they have playmates too, on the other hand. Do they yes. play nicely together? Most of the time. I mean, they beat each other too, but like, <laughs> most of the time we have a mixture of both. Do you guys think you'd want to have more? Do we, is that something on the radar? Are you happy at two? Like, what's the... I don't think so. I think, um, yeah, I think loving and taking care of our ones that we have are our priority and um we feel so grateful they're they're incredible kids and um it's uh yeah we've got to be kind to our planet <laughs> are you planning on on any more kids books after this one or was this i i wrote one i wrote one book daphne's written a lot of books and that one book i'm still tired from and it was like five years ago <laughs> Um, I would love to do one now that's more for my son's age because mm. this is really like perfect for my daughter who's three and a half and it's dedicated to both of them, of course, and really is for both of them. But he's really into sort of like the graphic novels, you know, now and, um, oh, fun. So like I've got to, I've got to figure out something. So, so there's, there's one that's really for him. What are your older kids reading? Harry Potter. Oh Yeah. Obsessed, obsessed with Harry Potter. Although they're really into Snoopy as well right now, Charlie oh, Brown and Snoopy. Cute. And just like, you know, you want to rewrite the gender roles, I would love for, you know, all these things that we remember as warm and fuzzy when they're when we're younger. And then you listen to them again. And you're like, oh, no, this is not things that we say anymore. Like, I'll slug you, you blockhead is what my kids <laughs> say all the time. And I'm like, it's That's kind very, of like, you don't say that. Though, it's like, period. <laughs> right. It's kind of funny because it's so ridiculous. And they'll say it and they're so angry. I'm going to slug you, blockhead. And I'm like, all right, well, okay. That's cute, though. I, all kids should be armed with like phrases from the 50s. I know. <laughs> like, I know. You blockhead. It's so effective. Is <laughs> there's, there's no confusion. It's really getting to the point. Yeah. You know what's funny? My uh, we, I, we started reading um, The Secret Garden recently and like Heidi and all those those old classics. I'll tell you what's really weird to me. It's not the gender roles so much specifically. Oh, because in both of those, the uh, there's a girl who's the lead character. But it's um, it's the like heaviness of weight uh, of a life at eight. Like both these girls have their parents are dead and they're you know mean right. grandmothers or mean whoever's and mean governesses. Like 
just like children having to contend with much darker and more fraught realities than you'd ever hope and wish on any child. So it's it's been this kind of interesting dance of having to like try to navigate some of these parts and make it a little bit softer of a landing. And um, and also at the same time, realizing that like, you know, I think there's I, I think there's value in some of the like classic literature that that, you know, it just it's very universal and and they have to have context to put it into. But it's um, but it's been fun to get to read those. And she's loved them. She loves them. It's also because it's just so it's like one of the only moments in the day that I get to be with her alone. And she obviously really craves that too. The fun thing to do as well is have them start reading pages to you. So like Carmen, my daughter, she will read me pa- a couple pages and then I'll read to her the rest mm-hmm. before we go to bed. Mm-hmm. That's really good. No, it's so good. How is it going back to work with, with COVID? I know my husband is an actor and he – it's a very different – way to go back on the set. And I assume it's maybe a little bit more relaxed in um, where you guys are. Yeah, they're still taking all the precautions. I mean, I actually haven't started um, my on-set work yet. Um, I'm just in prep right now. Um, but uh, we're going to be tested three times a week and um, everyone has to wear masks. And, you know, I think there's some separation between mm-hmm. like teams so that people stay in kind of groups. So God forbid anyone is positive, like only right. that group has to quarantine. Um, so they're, they're still taking all the precautions, but it's obviously a lot more relaxed here because there's been like, I think there were like 12 cases in the country or something. It's crazy. Week. Amazing. And it's just super different. So I would, I'd love to um, chat with you if you're game about something like uh, some of my favorite conversations on the show end up being about, yes, about motherhood tangentially, but oftentimes about the like what forms the woman who becomes the mother and how she takes care of herself too. And I feel like you've, um, throughout your career, I I feel like it's been really important to you to select your roles and to be very vocal about the things that you want to promote and play. And and obviously it's it's acting, but it's also, you know, important to you to, to, to make an active choice in that. And I'm so curious because, you know, I've worked in media and TV for a, a long time. And I do think that it's... Um, Sometimes it feels like an industry that's very like hurry up and wait. And it also feels like you've got to be so grateful every time an opportunity comes around. And I don't find that it's an industry that really fosters a lot of like confidence of like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll wait for the next thing. You know what I mean? Um, So I'm so curious how you developed that backbone and how you felt, you know, where did that come from and how did you feel confident to do it, especially as a young, like before you were established and roles written for you when you were still going and trying to get them? How did that sort of shape up? Um, well, thanks for saying that. Um, I I don't know. I mean, I feel lucky to have been able to work uh, for a long time. Um, but also that long time kind of gives you a sense of like the way things go, you know, that like sometimes it's it's happening and sometimes it's like not happening and you kind of just have to like be patient mm. and like trust in it. Um, although, I mean, I definitely have moments where I'm like, I don't know what my good thing that I want to be part of is. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's lucky to get to play lots of different things. Like I always think we're talking about, you know, feminism and I always think that like the most different possibilities of what a woman can be is the best for women. So I Mm -hmm. think like we should be able to see like people who are not kind and people who are not strong and people who are not courageous and alongside the, you know, brave and strong and smart and accomplished women, because like, 
just the like the the RBG quote about um, you know putting women on a pedestal is just a different kind of cage mm-hmm. is is so true. Like you can't just like make making all women like kick ass superheroes doesn't make a feminist <laughs> reality. Like we want to be all different possibilities of humans. So um, it's great to get to play characters that are all different kinds of people, not just not just heroes, you know, alongside some heroes. <laughs> Once in a while, it's not so bad. Yeah. You're, you're, you're going to play Thor, a female yes. Thor. That's really exciting. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Amazing. That's so fun. Are it's you, really are you fun. working out with his trainer? That guy was out of control. <laughs> <laughs> He's Australian. I, Isn't he around there somewhere? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're, yeah, I'm definitely getting Chris's, like, recommendations for, for, you know, how to get, like, pumped up. I don't know if, like, a five foot three Jewish woman who's, like, on the verge of 40 yeah. is going to be able to, like, bulk up in the same way. <laughs> if anyone can do it, you can do it. <laughs> Thank you. But, yeah. It'll be pretty funny. Years ago, I interviewed um, Hugh Jackman for Wolverine, and he, like, brought me through his, like, crazy re- – he'd have oh to, like, God. wake up at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning and eat, like, a to steak. To eat. No, but it would be, like, just steak all the and, time. And, like, 20 chicken which, breasts and, which like, obviously 80 eggs. Which, obviously, would was... not do that. But, yeah, no, it was I know. Simple. I'm going to be, like, like – I'm going to be just, like, jamming tofu, tofu, tofu at, like, 2 in the morning. <laughs> so many kidney beans. <laughs> you became vegetarian oh. as a kid? Yes. That's yes. amazing. I did at five as well. Oh, amazing. When I understood that meat was an animal, I was like, okay, I'm out. I don't do this. <laughs> exactly. See, I was raised vegetarian and then I got to college and my vegetarian options were so paltry. I was like, no, no, no. I need a hamburger. I need this. I need my chicken breast back. Uh, well, that's always what I, I tell my husband is like, I always feel like kids need something to rebel against. Like mm. you can't bring them up like too like lefty hippie like then then they're gonna they're gonna reject it and like uh so I'm like let's give them some like rules and structure just so they can be like screw that later (laughs) Um, I like that that's that's like proactive parenting right there here's the things I'll let you rebel against I'm just gonna feed them here (laughs) exactly I was like I don't mind if school is like kind of strict and you know if I if I instill too much of my like own hippiness, they'll they'll end up like super super conservative. We ask on um, Mom Brain. We ask uh, what we ask about a favorite thing. Oh, I recently got donut molds, and it's become like my favorite thing. Like to mm. make donuts. Yes, to make donuts at home. It's like oh, very so important. <laughs> very good. Well, all the things you learned in quarantine. I know. I know. It was really, it was like necessary for quarantine. They're very light too. So I travel with them. They're like silicone molds. Wait, what are you making? Donuts. You're actually making donuts. Donuts. It's like basically just like a normal like cake batter and then you put it in the mold and it comes out a donut. It's incredible. (laughs) Imagine that. Imagine all the possibilities. (laughs) But the fact that you travel with it is very telling. You clearly love and miss a donut. I understand. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like very – well, my my three-year-old, there's like a coffee shop near our house and my husband every morning gets coffee there and they have this special – Special donut there, and she, it's like the only thing she will eat for breakfast now. Uh-huh. It's like a green matcha donut, and when 
we knew we were going away, I was like, I need to learn how to make this. Ah. And so I had, I found this like amazing Instagram chef taught me how to make them. Her name's Yuki. And so now I can make them for her, which is like, it was like a big crisis. I was like, I will not get, be able to get her to eat breakfast once we're away from our like local cafe. Are you a big cook? I like to cook. My husband is kind of actually more the cook in our house. He's like really, like he has like skills. I'm more like, throw it together. This is yum. And then, you know, I do like the basic things and he's like the, he, he'll do like the fancy, you know, dinner for 20 kind of cooking. What a skill. That's amazing. That's a good one. To French marry. people all know how to cook. It's French kind of people. like, it's, it's, it's like a, one of those stereotypes that's true. They like all are amazing cooks. It's also like the pressure is not on, which I think is really the key to all good things in life is just enjoy it. You know, don't like make it so crazy and annoying. I know. He's like never stressed while cooking. I'm always like, I need, I'm spilling things and everything's everywhere. And he's just like, puts on the music and it's like five minutes and there's like a dinner for, you know, 20 people and What's the first meal he made to woo you? What was like the meal that sealed the deal for you? Well, he made many like wonderful meals for me, but we, one time our our friends have like a a gathering at their house where like everyone comes um, for the holidays and he made a New Year's Eve dinner for like 20 of my friends the first time he was meeting them. That was like an eight course dinner of like, I mean, he did these like, eggs in the shell that were like with cream and caviar on top like for 20 people by himself and all my friends were like um you're marrying this guy right now keep him yeah yeah, this is uh this is definitely a ticket to lifelong happiness (laughs) making me delicious food amazing all right thank you you. thank you thank you take good luck with everybody All right, guys, that was Natalie Portman. I loved it. I really meant what I said in terms of this idea of you know, sometimes it's so daunting being a parent and try well, not being a parent. Okay, yeah, that's like the understatement of the century. Sometimes <laughs> it's so daunting thinking about having these really big conversations with our children, and there's these really difficult things in the world and and that are being spoken about, and that's absolutely amazing. But when is it too much too soon? And, you know, how early should we be having these conversations? And are there other ways as well until we are ready to have these age-appropriate conversations when it is age-appropriate? Are there other ways that we can plant seeds of um, gender equality, consent, um, you know, racial equality, all the really incredible conversations that we're having right now? But how can we just allow our kids to be innocent and have it just be and be good, but have, having good messaging. And I think that her, you know, her children's story um, is a really great example. But no, just this idea of can we give our kids fairy tales? And in the fairy tales, it really is a fairy tale where it just is. It's not people having to fight against a system or mm. it doesn't plant that seed of, oh, you were told it's impossible. But it's actually possible, which is a really, really great message. But at the same time, what if it wasn't impossible to begin with? Right. What if you never had that hang up? What if you what never if you had didn't that? have that hang up? And that's really, I think, what she's what she's getting at, which is really, which is really fascinating. I'm excited to read the book with my children. I know. I agree. I think that 
the idea of being able to give kids something really important for their long-term happiness and their long-term success and their long-term contribution to this planet, something like empathy in a way that feels totally accessible, like in a story, like something where they're already trying to, they're, they're in the learning spirit. They're also in the enjoying and entertaining spirit. And that is always the best way humans learn when they're having fun, when they don't even realize they're learning. So I think, um, I think it's a really cool idea. I'm excited to get my hands on, on a copy of Natalie Portman's Fables. And now it's time for our favorite things. It's time for favorite things. Oh, yeah. So my favorite thing today is a swaddle. I know you guys, I've talked to you guys before about Snuggle Me Organics that I've discovered with this baby, this namaste baby, as I like to call him. Um, but I have really been trying to work on my swaddle game. Um, and I've got like every single swaddle under the sun, but I didn't have a swaddle meat organic under the sun and in my sun, in my world, in my village, in my home. Um, and I have fallen in love with it to the point where it's like literally the only swaddle that I, that he'll sleep in because it's that perfect, uh, like slightly stretching swaddle and it can get like a really, really good tight swaddle. But yeah, no, I really – I love it so much that, you know, I had like maybe like two or three and I went back and bought more because I'm like, I need this in order to make my child sleep. And it actually works out pretty, pretty well. I love it. Um, well, my favorite thing this week is going to be something I think you might want to get your hands on too, uh, more for you than for baby. But it is the Mount Lay – Mount Lie Mount Lay um, skincare fridge. Have you seen this? No. I haven't. If you have serums or uh, even like facial tools, like a gua sha uh, panel or a little roller or something, you, everyone um, has probably heard that if you make it, it cool, it actually helps to depuff. It helps sometimes for you know for for the circulation to send blood away from the face with the cooling action, so that it actually looks less puffy and you look more sculpted and and smooth and and lifted. Um, and it also potentially extends the shelf life of the products that you have, which I think is really cool. Plus, it's just like a nifty gadget to have on your on your bathroom counter. And for me, actually, sometimes helps me like limit the clutter on my counter just by keeping things all nice and tidy in this fridge. It also makes it feel a little bit more like a ritual, but it just it feels like something a little bit special to me. And I think that's um, I think that's kind of fun. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, follow us on Instagram and every other place. Yes. Email us mombrainpod at gmail.com. And we can't wait to talk to you guys next week. Bye. No lines left for me. Goodbye. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) This is Mombrain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mombrain is a Gallery Media Group original production.